0: turn your Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 8. We're going to go verse by, continue our verse-by-verse verse study through the Old Testament. Um, Sunday, read Revelation chapter 1 from verse 9 through the end of the chapter. We're going to get to see a picture of Jesus in heaven. So if you've wondered what Jesus looks like in heaven, uh, you'll find out on Sunday. So I want to encourage you to read ahead and be prepared for that and see what he'll look like when he comes back. And we're longing for those days. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, Lord. We ask, Lord, now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us. And thank you for all the people who are here and those that are watching on live stream. Uh, Just minister to us, Lord, we pray. I pray that man would decrease, that your Spirit would increase, that you would be glorified, that your Holy Spirit would be the teacher, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. amen. So 2 Chronicles, as we know, brief background. This is a book written to the people of Israel who had been in bondage in Babylon for 70 years, and now they're coming back to Jerusalem. And they were given a history lesson through the book of Chronicles It was split into First 1 Chronicles is really the history during the time when David was ruling as king. 2 Chronicles is the time when Solomon was king. The first seven chapters we've seen Uh, several things, but the main thing that we've seen is the building of the temple. King David wanted to build the temple. God would not allow it because God said he was a man of war. So David got everything ready and he exhorted his son and he prepared his son for what would need to take place to build the temple, which would be absolutely the greatest accomplishment of Solomon's life. You know, he didn't sit his son down and say, let me teach you how to be a mighty warrior. He didn't say, let me teach you how to act politically. What he did was taught him how to serve and honor the Lord. And that's the best thing that a dad can do for his son or parents can do for their children. Amen? To have children that know and love the Lord. So now he's finished the temple. It's all done. All the furnishings are in place. We saw all the sacrifices that took place last week as a way to remember again and honor the Lord as they opened the, the temple itself. But what can happen is sometimes when, you know, you have a mountaintop experience, there's never going to be a greater thing in Solomon's life than building the temple. 20 years have gone by in his 40 years of ministry. He spent seven years on the temple and 13 years on his own palace. So he's halfway through his time as king. And now what? What? And the same thing can happen to us as believers. And, you know, we have mountaintop experiences. You go to a retreat or God does something great in your life. You lead somebody to the Lord. And, and, you know, sometimes, you know, we think that every day has to be a mountaintop experience. But I truly believe that real faith and real strong faith is seen on how we live every single day. Amen? Whether we're going through mountaintop experiences or the you know, the valley of the shadow of death, whatever those trials may be, a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And now Solomon's faith is going to start being put to the test. And we know that Solomon is not going to finish strong. And we're going to see some good things that Solomon does tonight. And then we're going to see the beginning of his failures. We're going to see the beginning of the compromise that's going to lead him away from the Lord. So if you have your outline, grab it. I titled the message done decently and in order. We need to know that our God is a God of order. Amen? Amen? All you got to do is look at the universe, right? Whether you look through a microscope or a telescope, you're going to see that our God is a God of order. He holds everything in the span of his hand, whether it's a, a strand of DNA or the galaxies beyond our ability to see, God is a God of order, And we're going to see in tonight's text that our God is a God of order. And he's a God of order in how he does things and how we are called to do things. So I titled the message, again, done decently and in order. First, we're going to see getting your priorities straight. It's interesting that Tim hadn't read this, but, you know, his first... uh, Song tonight was, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Well, the first thing we need to do is seek first the kingdom of God. The number one priority in your life, before your spouse, before your children, before your job, before anything else. All those things are important, and all those things are significant, of course, to God. But the first thing in our life needs to be our relationship with the Lord. Amen? Amen. We need to seek Him first, because if I seek God first, I'll be a better husband, I'll be a better father, I'll be a better man, I'll be a better worker, I'll be a better neighbor, amen? So seek first the kingdom of God. The second priority after God is our home, our family, right? And so first ministry after intimate fellowship with God is ministering to our family, And then lastly, everything that comes behind that is jobs, hobbies, even ministry comes after God and family. So having our priorities straight, keeping our priorities in order. Number two, nothing gets done without hard work. You know, the Bible says a man who does not work shall not eat. The The Bible says a man who doesn't provide for his family is worse than an unbeliever. If you read through Proverbs, the main focus of Proverbs is wisdom. The second thing is diligence and condemning laziness. And so we live in a world today that everybody wants everybody to take care of them. But nowhere in scripture do you see that. Where we're called to work hard and we're going to see that even though the temple's been built, the hard work is going to continue and that should be the part of a life of every believer. Hey, I always tell people I'll rest when I get to heaven. Right now my job, pray for me, my job is absolutely insane. Most of you know I have a full-time job. And they've given me the work of three other people who are out on benefits. So I'm doing four people's jobs plus my own with deadlines and pastoring the church. But other than that, right? And so, and what's amazing is though, my dad used to say, if you want to get something done, give it to a busy man. It's amazing how somebody who's busy, you give one more thing to do, they'll figure out what to do. And if you give somebody who's got nothing to do, one thing to do, they'll figure out a reason not to get that done. Amen? And so hard work is a good thing. It's good for us. It says in Genesis, after the curse in the garden, that men will toil by the sweat of his brow every day of his life. And hard work is good for us. Amen? Thirdly, compromise is the enemy of calling. So we're going to see Solomon's first... Com- well, we're going to see the compromise coming that's going to lead to the entire disaster what's going to take place the rest of his life. What is Solomon's main weakness? What is it? Women. Women. And you know what? We're going to see that compromise begin in tonight's text. Again, he's going to, his compromise with women is going to lead to pagan idolatry and the eventual bondage of all the children of Israel in Babylon. And it's all going to start because he compromises and is unequally yoked with an unbeliever. See, if you're here and you're single tonight, let me just make it really clear. You are The first thing you want to know about the person that you're contemplating courting is do they love Jesus more than they love you? And if the answer is no, run away. Can I get an amen to that? Because you want someone that loves the Lord more than they love you. My, my son just got engaged. My, my son David just got engaged recently. And uh, when I first met his now fiance, she was out here with, with David to meet me. And when I sat, down, sat her down at the table, the first thing I said to her is, do you love the Lord more than you love my son? And she said, I do. And she said, what's amazing is when I told someone I was, you know, dating this guy, they said, does he love Jesus more than he loves you? And so, you know, I, I know that their foundation is strong because they both love the Lord even more than they love each other. Well, sadly, he's going to find a woman that that's not what he does. He does it maybe for political reasons, but there's no reason to get married other than that you know this is the person God has for you. Amen? And you'd be praying for that right now. Number four, make worship a priority. You know, it's not about religion, it's about a relationship with the Lord. We should walk in intimate fellowship with the Lord every single day. You know, is Jesus your best friend? Does Jesus live inside of you? That's something I say to people more now. I don't say, have you you given your life to the Lord or are you a Christian? I say, does Jesus live inside of you? The person of the Holy Spirit, amen? Are you born again? Do you walk in intimate fellowship with Almighty God? And then finally, we're gonna see stepping out in faith. We're gonna see them with Solomon leading, doing something that Israel has never done before. And as believers sometimes, you know, pray for us as leaders. We're praying about God's situation with the building and all that kind of stuff. And we just we want to be faithful to do things if we've never done them before. before the, you know, the worst thing to can do is this is the way we've always done it. Well, sometimes God wants to do it different, amen? And we're going to see Israel get out of its comfort zone and do something they've never done before. So let's begin there, looking at done decently and in order. First of all, getting your priorities straight. So the temple's been built everything's in place, all the furnishings are where they belong, sacrifices are being made, everything's being done, and now what? Look at verse 1 of chapter 8. It came to pass at the end of 20 years when Solomon had built the house of the Lord and his own house. So again, it took him seven years to build the temple and 13 years to build his own palace. That kind of tells me a little bit about him, doesn't it? I mean, you're building a temple for Almighty God, and you spend twice as much time building a house for yourself. kind of says something. But he built the temple first, then his house, and now it's time to build the kingdom. So the lesson here on priorities is there's an order of priorities. We ought to, again, I just mentioned those to you. First of all, we put God first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I want to encourage you that the first thing you do in the morning is Pray. My encouragement to you is: before your feet hit the floor, in the morning, before you get out of bed, you take a moment and you pray. You've heard, you've heard me say it before. That God put this on my heart twenty-five years ago. I do it every morning. The first thing I do is I say, "Yes, Lord." Got that from Samuel, right? Yes, Lord, your servant hears, right? Yes, Lord. And then just, I pray for my day, I pray for my wife, I pray for my kids and my grandkids, I pray for divine appointments, I pray for my clients, I'm going to go see that day, I pray that God would do exceedingly abundantly above all I could ask or think, and I ask Him to help me to walk in the center of His will and to be obedient, and, and, and ask Him to fill me afresh with His Holy Spirit before my feet hit the ground. And the reason is because if I do it, if I get up on my own and in my own strength, I'm going to lose my way, amen? If I begin my day without the Lord, I'm going to spend my day without the Lord. And so I want to encourage you that intimate fellowship needs to come first. If we put Him first, everything else will fall into place. And again, I don't mean putting ministry first or or a personal relationship, but our personal relationship with the Lord comes first. Secondly, we ought to have our house and our family as our second priority. You know, the Bible talks about the qualification of a leader in the church He must rule in his own house. And it doesn't mean your house will be perfect, but are you setting a Christ-like example for your children? Are you being a, a Christ-like example to your spouse? Are you being a Christ-like example? Is your home set apart unto the Lord? You know, it's it's amazing to me when I go visit Christian people's houses, when you walk into their house, you sense a difference than somebody's house that doesn't know the Lord. Can I get an amen to that? You literally walk in and it's like, wow, okay. The Holy Spirit dwells here. One of the things we have in our house, we have an Alexa like everybody else. We just have Christian music playing 24 hours a day. I love having Christian music on in my house. I just love making it a, a place where God is, is honored, God is welcomed, God is glorified. Amen? But the, So the second thing we do is to make our family, our house, and our home a priority. And then finally, everything else. Again, the business, our jobs, our hobbies, even our ministries come after God first and family second. By the way, I just saw this about an hour ago. You know, you, we, we talked about this last week about the young man who had the heart attack, right? In the football game, right? And then we saw this last Sunday that all the teams before games were all the whole teams were going out and they were getting on their knees and praying. And then we've seen how how... Uh, even on ESPN, the guy was opened up and just prayed with everybody on staff. They put their heads down and they prayed. And you know what? Praise God that God will use tragedy to get people getting their eyes back on Jesus. Amen? And I saw the Buffalo Bills quarterback in a quick interview this evening. And he said, you know, I grew up in a Christian home and my priority has been football. But after this happened, my eyes are back on Jesus and he's the priority in my life yet again. Praise God for that. Amen? Amen? So it's making him the priority above everything else. And it's really about having our priorities in order. You know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What's the thing you value the most? That's the thing you're going to invest most of your time, talents, and and treasures into. Making the Lord the priority and the passion of our lives. Being faithful and obedient to all that he calls us to do in our day-to-day lives. Then it says in verse 2, that the cities which Haram had given to Solomon. Solomon built them, and he settled the children of Israel there. Now, if you go back to 1 Kings, Haram was one of the kings that some 20 years earlier had given Solomon, began by giving Solomon all that he needed, helping him gather all that he needed to build the temple. And then it says in that text there, that he gave him twenty cities in the land of the Sea of Galilee. So the king thanked him. First, he gave him food for his family, for the for his people. It says he gave him wheat and barley and gave him food for his people. Then he also gave him 20 cities. So he must have given him a lot of lumber and a lot of other things that he gave him to help build the temple. But what was interesting is he went and looked at the cities and he didn't like them. They're around the Sea of Galilee. By the way, if you've ever been to Israel, I personally think the Sea of Galilee might be the most beautiful place on this planet. I love the Sea of Galilee. So I'm baffled that he got 20 cities around the Sea of Galilee that he didn't care for them. So what happened was, it says here in this verse that he had given them to Solomon. So Solomon takes the cities back and he takes what the world doesn't want and he goes out and he does everything he can to build those cities up. So he takes what the world doesn't want And he's going to use it for God's glory. And isn't that kind of what the Lord does with us? Amen? The world looks at us and may not see us of value. And and you know what? The Lord takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And I'm thankful that God can use a man. You know, I see some of the people he uses in the Bible, including Solomon. Right? You look at people, the Bible does not hide the frailties of its heroes. We get to see that they all have failures in their life. And what that does is it, it shows that... God doesn't use us because we're perfect. He uses us because he's perfect, amen? And it shows me that if God can use you know, Samson, he can use Dave, amen? And praise God for his grace. So Hiram had supplied him, but again, he didn't do it for free. He had given a bunch of... Matter of fact, when he went and saw the cities, he says in the text in 1 Kings, he called the cities Kabul, which means worthless rubbish and garbage. How do you really feel about it? He said, those cities are worthless. They're garbage. That stuff you gave me is of no value. And so Solomon said, I'll take it back. And I'll go, I'll go use it. And I'll go, I'll go out into those cities and I'll restore them and make them usable. So he bought the cities back and built them and settled them with his own people. And again, he built, it up, he built up what Hiram saw no value in. And I'm just so thankful that that's what our God does. See, God doesn't see us at our worst, he sees us as who we are in him. You know, he knows us best and he loves us most. He knows every vile wicked thing we've ever done thought or thought, every wicked vile thing we will ever do. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Don't you love that he he died first and cleansed us later? He didn't cleanse us first and then adopt us into his family after we were perfect. He saw us who we were and he was willing to go to the cross for us. Verse 3, and Solomon went to Hamath Zobah and seized it. Now, this is a city 300 miles away from Jerusalem. So now that the temple's in place, now that worship is taking place, now that all those things are happening, he's going to make sure he gets all of the land in order. Now, traveling 300 miles, in those, traveling 300 miles today you know, is a little bit of a task but I'm doing that in an air-conditioned car listening to Christian music cranked, amen? But they're getting on camels or horses or whatever, and 300 miles is going to take some time. And so they traveled 300 miles away to reclaim this city, again, that was within the land of promise. So remember when they went into the land of promise, the land of Canaan, it was God had promised that all the land belonged to them. And this person here... uh, in uh, Hamath Zeba right the king there had surrendered to David sometime earlier but then what happened was when the new king came into place he thought well maybe he won't even bother with me and he kind of rebelled it says in 1 Corinthians 18:3 and David smote Hadazir, king of Zoba unto Hamath as he went to establish his dominion by the river euphrates so david had already won a victory but now that there's a new king the king that's there thinks he can just get away with it he can just be an open rebellion and he's going to be okay and so what does solomon do he goes back to the place that his dad had already conquered and he conquers it yet again what is he doing he's getting things back in order the temple's there that's been done people are worshiping and now what is he doing he's building a nation He's built up the temple. He's built up Jerusalem, but now he's building a nation. Solomon went to Hamath, again, to put things in order. Often doing what needs to be done is not easy or convenient. Was it convenient to go 300 miles? He could have just, and he could have sent somebody else, but he went himself. And I love that picture of a king. You know, that's our King of Kings. See, God, God can do anything He wants, and, and He chose not to do it this way, but you know, He didn't send somebody else to die on the cross. He came Himself. Amen? He didn't have somebody else do it. He came and suffered and died in your place. He loves you so much He'd rather die than live without you. And so again, he's getting things done. It came at a price. He had to travel a great distance. He had to engage this once submitted city and get them to resubmit to the authority of God. Then it says in verse five, he also built Tadmor in the wilderness and all the storage cities, which he built in Hamath. Tadmor, I love this. It means palm trees. <laughs> Who does that make you think of, Tim? Our- our brother Jack, who's loving palm trees right now. He hated him when he was here. But Tadmor was a desert oasis on a main trade route to Mesopotamia. And it was a main trade route that people passed through every single day. And notice it says there, what did he do? He's getting, he's doing the the details. So this place is out in the wilderness and all the storage cities, which he built in Hamath. Now a storage city in those days, what they did is they would build up fortified cities and they would place within them all, all the food and water that a traveler might need. So when they were traveling on these roads, they would go great distances and they didn't have you know, a a 7-Eleven to stop at, right? And so as they would be traveling, this is somebody who's taking care of his people throughout this land that God had given them, the land of Canaan. And so on this travel road, he is setting up storage cities. They're really just fortified cities where they would store food and water for the people that live there, but also for the travelers who would come by. So this is somebody who's going beyond just being comfortable in the temple. The king could have just sat in the temple and done nothing. But that's not what he's doing. He's recognizing that there's a calling upon his life. He wants to lead by example. Like I said, Solomon's doing really good in the first half of this chapter. And then we're going to see some compromise that can sneak up on any of us if we're not careful. So Tadmor, again, it's a little, t- you know, it's a tad more, right? But establish strong cities among the trade route, protect the, the travelers who were coming on camels and horses and caravans. And again, they were trade routes that Solomon also taxed, but he wanted to make sure that the people along those roads that his people were provided for could be safe and could be cared for. There was a place they could run to in a time of trouble or if, if they were hurting. Then it says in verse 5, He built upper Beth-haran and lower Beth-haran, fortified cities with walls, gates, And bars. So these cities were not far from Jerusalem, and Solomon committed to building, you know, what we would call an infrastructure today, right? An infrastructure is building roads, building cities where they need to be, repairing things. So here's Solomon. He's being a good king. His main focus was the temple, it's done now. Then he took care of Jerusalem, taken care of, and now he's building the nation. And you know what? Isn't that what we're called to do? Go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel and right Jerusalem. You start in your hometown, right? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, right? And that's the other thing. Like some people talk about they want to be missionaries. When I meet someone that says they want to be a missionary, which I think is wonderful, by the way, if I was not a pastor, there's not a doubt in my mind that's what I would be doing. I love going to foreign countries. I love going to places where people don't want to talk about Jesus. I love it. It's a passion that I have. But you know what? When I talk to people that talk about the mission field, I ask them if they've witnessed everyone in their neighborhood yet. Have you gone across the street, knocked on the door? Uh, no. Have you told either neighbor? How long have you lived in your neighborhood? Five years. Have, have you talked to anybody? No. But you want to go halfway around the world. You know, start off with your neighborhood. Amen? Let's start off with where we live. If we can't witness to our coworkers, I'm not sure why we think we need to go halfway around the world. But again, he's working on the infrastructure secured cities, military cities, storage cities. He built up national security, and as a king, he had wisdom to provide for both the needs and the security of his people. Finally, verse 6, he says, also Baloth and all the storage cities that Solomon had, and all the chariot cities and the cities." of the cavalry and all that Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem and Lebanon and all the land of his dominion. Now, some might not agree with this and that's okay, but I truly believe this is where the compromise is starting. The Bible tells us that some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord, our God. Amen. But notice he's starting to build up chariots and horses. Now, if it's a limited amount, it's probably okay. But we notice that it's noted here that he's starting to mount up chariots and horses. Now, chariots in those days was the equivalent today of like a tank. Because if you had a chariot and you had horses driving you and they would stick these things out really long that were sharp and they would just kneecap people as they went through the battlefield. And chariots, if you had a bunch of chariots, you're going to wipe out a bunch of guys standing there with swords in their hand. And so if you're mounting up the cavalry, you're, you know, those guys who are riding on horseback, and then you're mounting up these chariots, you're mounting up your, your, you know, your army, right? Now, again, some level of army is okay. God's okay with that. But at some point, if we start multiplying chariots and horses, we cease to be desperate for God. Amen? If you've got the best military in the world, if you're the biggest guy in, in, in your class, you're really not worried about anybody, right? And the mentality is that we need to be careful that we never have so much money in the bank that we cease to be desperate, that we never have, you know, so much comfort in this world that we cease to be humble, broken, and desperate for the Lord. You know, it's those people who come to the end of themselves that are used most mightily by God. In Deuteronomy, God spoke specifically to future kings, and he said, but he shall not multiply horses for himself. It would have been better for Solomon if he had reflected on Psalm 20, verse seven, that says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. Now look, I'm, I'm all for the fact that we have a great military, and praise God for that. And praise God for people who serve in the military, amen? But our hope is not in our military, our hope is in Jesus Christ, amen? He's our king, He's the Lord, He's in control and he's a faithful God. So Solomon's got a great heart and ambition as a builder. He's settling cities, he's building uh, storage cities. And again, he's, he's fortifying chariot cities and cities of Calvary and why are we are to be diligent, to be faithful, to work hard and provide and protect for our families, we must never fall into the trap. Again, as I mentioned to being desperate for God. We can become so comfortable with our own resources that we cease to cry out to Him. So point number one there, getting your priorities straight. God needs to be the priority. Seek you first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Point number two, nothing gets done without hard work. Now, watch what happens here. and It says all the people who were left of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, Who were not of israel when god gave them the land of canaan he promised that when they came into the land that they would have victory over the enemy in the land if we've talked about this repeatedly bears repeating but you will remember when they were delivered out of bondage in egypt and after god spoke to them at mount sinai and gave them the ten commandments and led them to the wilderness to canaan it's only an 11 day walk they get to canaan and they send 12 spies into the land and 10 come back, two come back, Joshua and Caleb, and say it's just like God said, it's a land flowing with milk and honeys. And and, and it's a, you know, we'll wipe them out. God's for us. And then what happens? Ten come back and go, oh man, they'll crush us. There's giants in the land. We can't do it. So what happened was, because they listened to the word of man, instead of listening to the promises of God, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years until that entire generation passed away. Nobody above the age of 20 survived. For forty years they wandered in the wilderness. You know, it was it was a sh- it was a straight shot to God's highest. And sadly for us, we can fall into the same trap. God's got a clear direction for what He's called us to do, and we can be out of fear, out of listening to the world instead of listening to the Lord. We can end up wandering in the wilderness. You know, Egypt is a picture of the world the land of promise is a picture of the spirit-filled life and sadly too often people get caught between the world and the spirit-filled life and they just wander there till they die because i don't want us to be satisfied with saved souls and wasted lives my heart for all of us is that we would be in the center of god's will walking in a spirit-filled life amen and so they're going to they've got all these guys who survived. So when they did go into the land, they wiped out their enemies, not all of them, we know that, and they let some of them live. And amongst them were all these tribes. And what did they do? They made them servants. So these servants were in the land and it was their way of surviving. It was their way of living among the children of Israel. And they were put to hard labor. It says in Leviticus 25, moreover, the children of strangers that Do sojourn among you. Of them you shall buy of their families that are with you, which they begat in your land, and they shall be your possession. And you shall take them as an inheritance for your children after you, to inherit them for a possession. They shall be your bondmen forever. But over your brethren, the children of Israel, you shall not rule over one another. Here's the thing. They could only have servants, indentured servants, who are not children of Israel. So the servants all had to be from their enemies that they had conquered. So the children of Israel were never indentured to each other because again, they should be serving each other freely. Amen. but the foreign people within the land were being put to hard work, and again, that they were used for the for the glory of God. It says that that is their descendants whom left in the land after them, who the Children of Israel did not destroy from these. Solomon raised up forced, forced labor, as it is to this day. So this is a seems like a heavy duty thing, but it was it was actually grace because he he could have just killed them all, but instead he made them servants in their land. And we do know when you read further in scripture that many of them you know gave their lives to the true and living God. Amen. But in, while they were there, they were to be servants. But you know what? while we are here, we are called to be servants. Amen? We can look at that, and that's an example for us that we too are called to serve, verse 9 and 10. And it says, but Solomon did not make the children of Israel servants for his work. Some were men of war, captains of his officers, captains of his, of his chariots and his cavalry. And then there were chiefs of the officials of King Solomon, 250, who ruled over the people. So the Israelites served as soldiers and supervisors and the labor force was very, very large and they were put to rule and reign over them. And whenever I read stuff like this, I always think of the millennial kingdom because the Bible tells us that we will rule and reign with the Lord. And we will rule and reign over the people who've come through the tribulation We're continuing to procreate and have children upon this planet. For a thousand years, we will see that number grow. At the end of that thousand years, we'll be seeing this in Revelation not too long from now. We know that Satan will be unchained for a time. And that even those people that have lived on the earth, when God is in control, many of them will still turn to the enemy. But during that time, again, there will be, we will be ruling and reigning over these people. So done decently and in order, getting your priorities straight. Nothing gets done without hard work. And here comes the compromise. Compromise is the enemy of calling. In scripture, when you see men and women being used mightily by God, it is always compromise that leads to their demise. It's when they allow themselves to follow what the flesh wants instead of being obedient to the Lord. Samson, again, is a great example of that. You know that God, Almighty God himself, Jesus came and appeared to Samson's parents and told him that they were going to have a son and that he was going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from birth. And they had him go on the, have the, take the Nazarite vow. His parents took the Nazarite vow. The word na- Nazar means to separate, separated from the world and unto the Lord. And the Nazarite vow, there were three main things. Don't cut your hair, Touch no dead thing and drink no alcohol. And so he was even told, if you had a Nazarite vow, you were not to go into vineyards, you were not to even eat grapes, because if you told someone they couldn't drink alcohol, they would just ferment grapes and say, I'm not, I'm not drinking alcohol, I'm eating fermented grapes. So he said, No grapes. And where do we see Samson? The first word we see out of his mouth, when we see him, when well, they've been waiting for him, he's, he's going to be the, the judge that brings the people back to God. They've been waiting for this guy for decades. And the first words we see from him is him going to his parents saying, woman, get her for me. He went down to the Philistine territory, a place where he was supposed to bring the enemy to the end of themselves. And instead, he saw a woman that had enticed him and he went and told his parents that he wanted her. And then he's walking through a vineyard. Now, he's got three things he's not supposed to do. And he's walking through a vineyard. And as he's walking through a vineyard, a lion comes out to attack him. You know what? The Bible says that Satan is a roaring lion seeking who may devour. Amen? He seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. When does the enemy show up? When you've compromised and you're in a place you never should have been to begin with. Amen? And he destroys it. God gives him the strength to destroy the lion. And then he walks into the Philistine territory. He comes back and tells his parents he wants the woman. And then he goes back through the vineyard again. And he goes by to check out the lion that he killed. Doesn't that sound like a guy? Where's that lion I tore up? I'm gonna check out that carcass. But he's not supposed to anything dead, right? And he goes and he sees this lion and it's got honey in its belly. And he, re- now this not, sounds, doesn't sound appetizing to me. I don't know about you. But he reaches down and gets some of the honey and he's eating. Now remember, you're not supposed to touch anything dead, right? No alcohol, no dead things. And we know that people have wondered what does that mean? You touch it. And he went to give some honey to his parents, but didn't tell them where it came from. And the bottom line is that, you know, sin is pleasurable for a season, but at the end it leads to death. The honey might have been sweet, but he defiled himself. The third thing was his hair. And when you get to Delilah later, we know what happened to his hair. Amen? So here's a man called uniquely by God who allows compromise to keep him from God's highest. If you'll remember, by the way, his name Samson means bright, light, or sunny, and his life ends with him blind physically. You remember that? His eyes are poked out and he's, you know, grinding. You know, he's basically become a glorified mule or ox, right? And then he cries out to God for vengeance and he brings the world down, comes crashing down upon him. So this man that was bright light and sunny was supposed to be used mightily by God, allow compromise to bring him to the place where he ended up like a, a blind mule, so, compromise is the enemy of calling. And here comes the compromise in Solomon. It's the same compromise as Samson. And it's the compromise that has caused more men to fall, I would venture to guess, than anything else. And it's, it's women, it's an ungodly woman. And notice what it says here in verse 11. Now, Solomon brought the daughter of Pharaoh up from the city of David to the house he had built for her. Now, Pharaoh, do you think Pharaoh was a godly man or an ungodly man? What do you think? It's an ungodly man. They worship idols like nobody's business, right? So he marries the Pharaoh's daughter, and more than likely, it was to bind him to Egypt politically, right? What they would do in those days, you you would marry your son to their daughter, and now because your family, it would It should, but didn't always work out, but it should get you guys, you know, on the same team because you're now you're all family. So he marries Pharaoh's daughter to help himself politically with Egypt. You know what's a better thing to do? Obey God. Amen. Well, this makes a lot of sense to the world, but not to God. Amen. And so he marries a pagan idolater's daughter, and now he's married to this pagan woman. Now Watch what he does here because he knows that it's not right and we can prove it by this verse. He said here, my wife shall not dwell in the house of David of Israel because the places once the ark of the Lord has come are holy. So he's saying, look, she can't live in Jerusalem. She can't live where, near where the, where the ark once was because that's a holy place. So What's he saying about her? She's not holy. You know, Samson was chasing after that woman. And after he found out that she betrayed him, he said, you have plowed with my heifer. He called her a cow. Like he's been courting her for a week and all of a sudden she betrays him and she's a cow. Well, here's what he's done. He's married her and he realizes, yeah, but she's not holy. And she can't possibly be here because she doesn't walk with God. She's a pagan idolater. Guys, we don't want to Try to take the pagan idolater and force them into a, a holy relationship with God or try to. No missionary dating. Can I get an amen to that? What I mean by that is, well, you know, I'll help them come to Christ. You know what? You let somebody, to, somebody else go help them come to Christ and let them walk with the Lord for a couple of years and be on fire for God. Then you can talk about dating them. Can I get an amen to that? So here's what happens. is this situation where he's like, oh man, this woman I married, but she cannot No, because this is only for holy people. This is a place where the the Ark of the Covenant once dwelt, and she can't possibly be anywhere near it because she's ungodly. So he knew she was ungodly, but he married her anyway to advance himself politically. See, this is called compromise, amen? It's where we'll do something ungodly to improve our status in a worldly way. It's like when somebody lies to make a big sale, but they'll, they'll give a reason, but I'll make a lot of money in commission. It's like when somebody cheats on their taxes. It's like when somebody, again, dates an unbeliever. And what we do is we're compromising the truth to advance ourselves in the flesh. And that's exactly what's taking place. Now, we know this is the beginning of it, but it's going to get a lot worse because he starts marrying all these women, and all the women that he marries all come from pagan idolatry. And before it's over, they're bringing their idols into the land of of Israel. And then they're setting up idol, they're setting up places, high places of worship. And before you know it, the guy that built the temple spent seven years building it. Was honoring unto the Lord. Before you know it, he's got, alt- he's got idols on altars all over the city, and people are worshiping the false gods. And then God brings righteous judgment, and they end up in Babylonian captivity. Now, this is stuff that shouldn't escape the people that this letter was written to. Amen? Because they're the ones in Babylonian captivity. And they're the ones being reminded of why they were there. And they're the ones that are being prepared to come back into Israel and to honor God. Solomon married the daughter of Pharaoh early in his reign as king, and this was his political marriage, one to create a political alliance with a neighboring kingdom. It says there in 1 Kings, And Solomon made an affinity with the king of Egypt, with the Pharaoh king of Egypt, and took the Pharaoh's daughter and brought her to the city of David until he had made an end of building his house and the house of the Lord and the wall of Jerusalem around it. See, at first he allowed her to be inside the city, until the building was done, and now that the project was over, he was going to move her out. He realized she can't even be here. And you know, it's sad that you would marry somebody that you recognize just how them being, him being in the presence of holiness would defile it. And again, I have a hard time thinking of Solomon as a married person that he can't take to a place that is holy. If you're dating somebody you don't want to bring to church because you're afraid, you don't want to bring them to introduce them to your parents, well, that, I can't introduce them to my parents, right? If you can't introduce them to your parents, if you can't introduce them to your Christian friends, something's wrong, amen? And we should make sure that we're honoring the Lord. Let me just read this to you, again, about being unequally yoked. This is in 2 Corinthians 6. It says, but be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? And what common light, common, commonality does light have with darkness? And what does, does Christ have with Satan or Belial? And what part of a believer with an infidel, which is an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with, with false idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, be you separated, says the Lord, and touch not an unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be the Father unto you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. If Jesus is a part of your life, he needs to be a part of your marriage and your home life. Amen? Now, if you're married to an unbeliever, stay and pray. That's God's highest. God's highest. If there's no biblical grounds for divorce, you stay and you pray, and we want to pray for the unbelieving spouses. And at the same time, though, if you're not married, make sure you don't even court or date anybody who doesn't love the Lord more than they love you. So to build a house for Pharaoh's daughter outside the holy city is to open its gates sooner or later to the false gods of Pharaoh. So he's going to build her house outside the city gates, but that's still close enough to bring the idolatry into the land of promise. The blessedness of marriage, tied depends on whether or not we're of one spirit with a common love for the Lord and seeking above all else for Him to be glorified in our homes, in our lives, and in our marriages. So point number three there, compromise is the enemy of calling. Again, and, and what ha- here's what happens too. One little compromise leads to another one. Have you ever noticed if you compromise in an area of your life in what may seem like a small way, before you know it, that's just okay. And then you compromise a little bit more, and then you compromise a little bit more. You become desensitized to sin. As soon as you allow that small compromise into your life or into your home or into your marriage or into your family, before you know it, you've gotten so far, far away from the Lord. And so we must desire to walk in obedience, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed Than the fat of rams. Now, the next thing we see here ends up making worship a priority. Look what happens beginning there in verse 12. Then Solomon offered burnt offerings to the Lord on the altar of the Lord, which he had built before the vestibule. Solomon offered burnt offerings in accordance with the commanded morning and evening sacrifices. According to the daily rate as mentioned in Numbers 28, Solomon had sacrifices in the morning. And sacrifices in the evening, he had rebuilt the temple and he had reestablished the ongoing daily worship. So look, having your house and your finances in order is meaningless if God's not the priority of your life. And what he's showing here is that worship and fellowship with God is daily. It's not once a week for an hour. Amen. It's not on Christmas and Easter only. Right? It's not. You know. It's not when it's convenient. You know, seeking ye first the kingdom of God, it means I have intimate fellowship with him all day, every day. I begin my day with prayer, as I mentioned, but I just never hang up, right? You put God on speakerphone, and you just talk to him all day long. You pray without ceasing, but this is the will of God, amen? And the exhortation here in this this picture is that, yeah, he's reestablishing worship, that it's ongoing. It was every morning and every night. And then there was special worship on top of that. And there were weekly sacrifices that took place. And so sacrifice was constant because what did it do? It made them recognize their desperate need for God. It made sure that he was the thing they thought about when they woke up in the morning and who they thought about when they went to bed at night. And it made sure that, again, the the sacrifices that were all pointing to Jesus became a priority amongst God's people. A heart of worship and a heart of faithful obedience is what God has called us to. Verse 13, according to the daily rate offering, according to the commandments of Moses, for the Sabbaths and the new moons, the three appointed yearly feasts, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, again, regular worship. God doesn't just want us once a week or once a year. Again, the daily sacrifices, the weekly sacrifices were on the Sabbath, the monthly sacrifices were the new moons, and the yearly sacrifices. And each one of these special events, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Uh, the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of Tabernacles were all reminders of great things that God had done for them in the past. And they were all reminders, well, actually for things that were going to happen in the future as well. So there were seven feasts they had, four were looking back and three were looking forward, and three of them have not been fulfilled yet. By the way, the Feast of Tabernacles was a reminder of them when they wandered in the wilderness, right? They would build tents and they would be reminded of their past. And again, we see that as they do these things, they're being reminded of all the things that God has done for them. What do we do today? There's only really two sacraments in the New Testament church. And one of them is a reminder of what God's done for us. What is it? Communion. Communion. The Lord's Supper, right? As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Remembering his body broken and his blood shed for us. And then the other sacrament is baptism, right? Again, outward statement of an inward change. It's a public proclamation of our faith in the Lord. And those are really the two sacraments in the New Testament and things that we do in remembrance of Him and as a public way of, of being identified with Him. And so as they did in the Old Covenant, so too we have something similar in the New Covenant. And then it says there in verse 14, And according to the order of David his father, he appointed the divisions of priests, uh, for their service, and Levites for their duties to praise and serve before the priest as the duty of each day required, and gatekeepers for their divisions in each gate, for so David, the man of God, had commanded. Now, here's something he did. He, even now, his dad has been gone for 20-plus years. His dad's been gone and in heaven for 20-plus years. He still remembers the godly counsel his dad gave him, and he's remaining faithful to it. And you know what? The the words of godly parents can last beyond their lifetime. Can I get an amen to that? The Bible says, raise up a child in the way they should go. When they were old, they will not depart from it. Now, this just happened today, and I'm going to read this to you, but I found, this is the Bible my parents gave me when I turned 15, my 15th birthday. And I'm going to get emotional. But this is what my parents wrote to me. It's right here on the Bible, see? I read it today and I was just a mess. It says, David Bradley Johnston on his 15th birthday, thy word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against thee, Psalm 119, 11. David, our prayer for you is that you'll learn to treasure the living word, Jesus Christ, in your heart and in your life. From before your birth, you've been a joy to our lives. Wherever you go in this life, there are three people that will always love you and will never turn away. Mom and dad, and most of all, Jesus. You're a precious son to us. You're a blessing uh, to my soul. God has a calling upon your life. We can't wait to see all God is going to do in you and through you. We love you, love you, love you, mom and dad. Now, that was 45 years ago. And you know what? I'm, I'm thankful for godly parents because isn't it a, such a blessing to know my mom prayed? You know, when I think about my mom, I think about my mom praying because I would get up in the morning and she would have her, she'd be on her knees praying for us before we got up every morning. And they would come in our bedroom every night and put their hands on us and pray for us. And I did the same thing with my kids. Starting from the day they were born, I would go in the room every night, lay my hands on their forehead and pray for them. And one of the things I would pray for is the person they would marry one day. I pray that God would protect them, watch over them, that, God, that they would come to know the Lord at a young age. And then I prayed for their spouses. And three of the four of them have been married. And I've told each of them when, I, when they got engaged, I said, you're the person I've been praying for for 30 years. You're an answer to 30 years of prayer. And see, David had raised Solomon and taught him the truth, and now David is gone, and Solomon is still being obedient to what he learned from his dad. Now, sadly, we're going to see him wander from that, and we can raise our kids in a godly way, and they can make ungodly choices sometimes. But I love that picture there that you read this, and he says, as David, the man of God, had commanded, David had told Solomon, this is what you're called to do, son, I just love, I read this and I think, man, my parents' prayer was answered. Amen. Because I love the word. As they said, we pray you will grow up to love the word and you'll hide it in your heart. And by the grace of God, I have, and I'm thankful for parents that prayed that that would happen for a lot of years. Amen. I'm thankful for that. And so to here, we see that picture in the life of Solomon. Again, he's not going to stay on that path forever, but again, he's making worship a priority. He's making all the sacrifices because his dad had instructed him that not only do you build the temple, but you make sure the sacrifices are taking place. You make sure that God's honored above everything else. I can't build the temple, but you need to build it. And, and Solomon has been faithful. We saw the beginning of the compromise with Pharaoh's daughter. We're gonna see the compromise get worse and worse as we get to future chapters. But see, we see that there was a time in his life was, where he was honoring both the Lord and the instruction given by his earthly father. Now, here's the good news. Solomon, sadly, he falls away, and the consequences are heavy. But if our kids have fallen away, we can continue to pray for them because, you know what, you can take a million steps away from God, it's only one step back, amen? And if you have children that are, you know, prodigal sons or daughters, pray for them, that God will draw them home. Because God, can God do that? What's the answer? God absolutely can do that. And we need to continue to pray for them. So every day they had worship. He was honoring what he had been instructed by his own father. And again, he appointed people for different jobs and different callings, and praise God for that. Solomon again heeded his father's direction even after he was gone, and I can still hear my dad's wise counsel after five years in heaven, you know, when I was standing, I, I'm blessed to do, I've done a couple hundred weddings, and I love doing weddings, because it's a picture of Christ in the church, I love it, but I also have the best seat in the whole place, because I see her coming down the aisle, and I always look over at this guy, who's usually crying, can I get amen to that, and my dad was standing up with me, and we were waiting for my wife to come out, you know, the all the groomsmen and stuff were coming out. And my dad leans over to me. And I right at that moment, he'd never said this to me before. And he goes, son, court your wife all your life. And I was like, and he goes, yeah, son, all the effort you put in to convince her to marry you, you put in that much effort or more for the rest of her life. And you keep courting her for the rest of your life. And he, told, he said that. That's the only time he said it in my life. And I've never forgotten it. Amen because the moment that he said it. So godly counsel is strong, and David gave godly counsel to his son, and Solomon, at least for a while, has been faithful to what he was taught by his father. And then it says in verse 15, they did not depart from the command of the king to the priests and the Levites concerning any matter or concerning the treasuries, so as Solomon followed God's command and the godly counsel of his father, so too did those that ruled over him. It's amazing how someone who is faithful can lead other and other people into being faithful. Amen. It's easy to follow someone who's faithful. People will say, like, oh, so you're like, so your God is like in charge of everything. Yeah, he is. And he gets to tell you what to do. Absolutely. And like and you you don't have a problem with no I have no problem with that. See look, it's easy to follow God because he's perfect. Amen? Because he's loving, because he's gracious. It's easy for a wife to follow a husband who's submitted to God. Amen, ladies? If your husband's following the Lord, it's easy for you to follow him because in following him, you're just following the Lord who he's following. Amen? And it's easier for kids to follow parents who are following the Lord. Amen? And so when we're a Christ-like example, and so because David followed God, it was easier for Solomon to follow the the direction of his dad and to follow the Lord. What kind of example are you to those who follow, who are following you? You know, follow me as I follow Jesus. You know, there was a song that came out when my first child was, when my first son was born, and I was on a sales call in Ventura. This is back in probably 1991, and I was talking to this Christian guy, one of my clients, and he goes, you have a new baby boy? He goes, I want you to listen to this song. And so we, sat, we went out and sat in his car, and I still remember it, and he put this song on. I don't forget who's, who it's by, but the it, it, words are this, Lord, I want to be just like you because he wants to be just like me. Make me a holy example for his innocent eyes to see. Let me l- be living by the law that my little boy can read. Lord, I want to be just like you because he wants to be just like me. That's powerful, isn't it? And my son was like two months old. I thought, I want to be an example for him to follow. The the Lord is the ultimate example, but I want him to see the Lord in me. Amen? Amen. And that should be true of both parents and grandparents, right? We want to we be an example that our kids can look at and say, and when I do, when I do weddings I always, and when I do baby dedications, I always pray, Lord, I pray that this man will be a godly man that will be a Christ-like example that his son can follow and the kind of man he wants to be, and that his mom will be a Christ-like example of a godly woman, the kind of woman he's going to want to marry someday, amen? And we want to be that example. Lord, I want to be just like you because he and they want to be just like me. And I want to be a Christ-like example. And you know what? King David had done that. Solomon is going to lead his people into idol worship. Unfortunately, he's not going to follow in his father's footsteps. Verse 16. And then it says, Now all the work Solomon was well-ordered. All the work of Solomon was well-ordered. Here's, here's where I got the title of the message. Done decently and in order. Everything he's doing up to this point outside of the pharaoh's daughter for a wife, right? It has been done decently and in order and honoring to the Lord. Again, our God is a God of order. That's why when you go into a church and people are rolling in the floor and barking in the spirit, and don't, no, that's not the Holy Spirit, amen? Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. If you're confused in church, you're in the wrong church, Amen? And when people are you know, seeking an experience and all that kind of stuff, look, again, does our, God move, does our God move with emotion? What's the answer? Yes. But we don't follow our emotions alone because our emotions can lie to us. You know the Mormons teach the way you know the, the Book of Mormon is real is you get a burning in your bosom. If you read it and if your, if your bosom starts to burn, you'll know it's true. You don't think Satan can make your bosom burn or a chili dog or something else, Right? And the reality is we don't put our faith in our feelings. We put our faith in the truth, amen? And the word of God is true. And so Solomon, he did everything, again, there was order. And there needs to be, there should be order in the church and there should be order in the life of a believer. And notice what it says here as we finish up. And again, it says, "'From the day of the foundation of the house of the Lord until it was finished, so the house of the Lord was completed.'" So he knew the task at hand, he knew it was going to be difficult, he knew that they had, the right, had to have the right craftsmen, they had to have the right uh, you know, supplies to build it, and for seven years they were faithful to it, and because they were, they finished the work that God had called them to do. Guys, if we're going to be faithful to the work that God has called us to do, we need to be faithful to the order he's called upon our lives, the direction and his will being done. So finally, after making worship a priority, stepping out in faith, watch what happens here. It might not mean anything to you, but I'll point something out to you as we close. Then Solomon went to Ezion and Geber and Eloth on the seacoast in the land of Edom. And Hiram sent him ships by the hands of the servants and servants who knew the sea. They went with the servants of Solomon to Ophir and acquired 450 talents of gold from there and brought it to King Solomon." This is the only time in Scripture, really, where we see the children of Israel, they don't really have a navy anywhere in the Bible that I can see, right? And we may see more of it ref- referenced to this later on as we move forward. But what is he doing? He, the children of Israel were known for being strong on land, and we don't really see them in the, in the water bunch, right? But here we see King Solomon building up a navy, if you will, building up ships. And you know what? this was something that Israel had never done before. They've been in a land of promise for for quite a while. I mean, King Saul and all that time. And now, so sometimes God wants us to get out of our comfort zone and do something we've never done before. Amen. And people say, well, I can't do that. I've never done it before. I said, well, then you'd never do anything because everything you've ever done, you had some point never done before. Can I get an amen to that? Right? I guess you better stop walking because you had never done that before at some point, right? You better stop eating, right? So eventually, look, if the only way we're going to get to a place out of our comfort zone is if we're willing to step out in faith and do things that we've never done before. And when we get out of our comfort zone, you know what? God will use that for His kingdom and for His glory. I've told you guys this, that the first time I did public speaking, I took a speech class in college, and then our final exam was you had to do a speech to convince and I had written a speech on something really lame. It was about football. I played football in college, and I was in a classroom filled with a bunch of liberals who thought that college scholarships for sports were wrong. And so I was going to get up and convince them that, that scholarships for sports were, were good because we you know, filled the football stadium, brought money to the college, and all this lame stuff, right? And so the night before, I'm finishing up my message, and it's going to be in front of like 300 people. It's one of those stadium seating things. And the Lord just convicted me. Tell them about me. Uh, no, 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 <laughs> no, I've never gotten in front of 250 people in my life, and I don't know, it's a speech to convince, you can convince them of anything, convince them that I'm God, oh, I don't, I don't think so, and literally, I was asleep, I was laying in bed, and I got in the middle of the night, and wrote out this thing, and I walked up there to the front of the room, football scholarships, Jesus Christ, and I set them both down, and he's like, okay, Mr. Johnston, you got eight minutes, go, okay, And I taught the one about Jesus. And I shared that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by him. And nobody can be saved apart from Jesus Christ, Him crucified and risen from the dead. And all the other gods of this world are false gods. They're all dead. They're in the ground. We can dig up their bones. And Jesus Christ is a risen living Savior. He's triumphed over sin and death. And then I talked about, uh, and if you don't believe in God, you write, you write down his existence every single day. Every time you put the date, it's A.D. is Anno Domini, and the year of our Lord. And, every, and I just went through this whole thing for eight minutes. I was the last speaker. The bell rang. And they started asking questions. And I sat there for half an hour answering questions, most of which I was not equipped to answer. And God gave me answers. Amen. And you know what happened? I was not, after that, I was like, okay, I can do this, I guess. Right. And I had no idea that was preparation for God's calling upon my life. When he woke me up in the middle of the night as an 18 year old and told me to get in front of 250 people and talk about Jesus. Amen. See, guys, we have to get out of our comfort zone sometimes so that it may become our comfort zone later, amen? It may become the calling God's place upon our lives. So in closing, done decently and in order, getting your priorities straight, seek first the kingdom of God, your home and your family come next and then your calling and your job and your hobbies after that. Nothing gets done without hard work. A true servant is willing to work hard. Compromise is the enemy of calling. Solomon's compromise was in marrying an unbeliever. May we not compromise. May we not allow our flesh to come before the call of God upon our lives. We need to make worship a priority. Not about religion, but a relationship. Intimate fellowship with God every day. Not once a week, once a month, or on special days. And then finally, stepping out in faith. Be willing to step out and try something you've never done before. Because you know what? God will, God will meet us in our weakness. Amen? Amen. In our weakness, strength is made perfect. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. Be glorified, we pray. I pray for everyone here, all of us, Lord. Show us ways and areas of our life where maybe we need to step out in faith. Lord, help us to make you the priority and the passion of our lives. May we live lives that bring glory and honor to your name. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said